Well, folks, hello and very warm welcome to our latest edition of our Generation Podcast, where it's our privilege to have guests from all over the world and folk who are involved in various sorts of ministries and various missions. Um, today, my guest is Dr. Tom Lane, Tim Lane. Sorry, uh, Tim is the founder and president of the Institute for Pastoral Care. Um, he is the author of many books with some great titles. Uh, one's called Living Without Worry. One's called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, um, How People Change, and his latest book is called Unstuck. And if you'll bear with me a little moment, one of the reasons that we have Tim today is that Tim will be in Edinburgh, and he will be here on Friday the 28th of February, where the Edinburgh City Mission have organised a day conference on the Unstuck theme and it will be at St. Catherine's Argyle and Grange Road, Edinburgh, again, the 28th of February. So we'll mention that at the end. Tim, sorry for me rabbiting on. Good to have you with us. Well, thanks for the opportunity, David. I look forward to interacting with you today. Great. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, who you are, where you were raised, a little bit of your story? Sure, yeah. I, I was... Uh born in a little small town in the state of Georgia in the United States. Uh, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a good bit. Um, and then uh, eventually wound up back in Georgia, where as a young teenager, I was exposed to the gospel. And um, in about 1978-79, found my need uh, for Christ and trusted in Him. And it's been a journey since. Um, I've done campus ministry. I've been a pastor for 10 years. Uh, I worked at and ran a counseling organization in Philadelphia before uh, coming back to Georgia and uh, doing what I'm doing now, where I'm, I'm helping churches with their pastoral care. How are they going to care for the people in their churches? But I'm also counseling myself. I do a lot of individual and a lot of marriage counseling. Excellent. Okay, one of the cultural differences about Scotland and the US is that, you know, up until now, we are not big on a professional counselling service, if you like. Um, can you explain to us some of the benefits of that? Yeah. So, you know, the historical influences are interesting. Uh, in the States, we were influenced a lot by Sigmund Freud and and therapy, you all have more of a medical model in the UK, Interesting. and that tends to be the difference. You know, someone presents with a problem in the UK, typically you're going to get them in the, the national health system. Um, but that's changing in the UK. Uh, just this idea of counseling and uh, needing, uh, needing wisdom, uh, needing help with our individual lives and uh, marriages, relationships, that... Uh, that's pretty common to any and every human being. And so when you think about counseling, I often like to kind of uh, demystify it, if you will. And it's really just a wise conversation with someone who can help you in an area of your life where you might be struggling. Yeah. So it gives a kind of external perspective. That's right. Yeah. You have another person that may have a special training experience, a life experience who can help you, you know, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or you're struggling in your marriage. Um, someone who's been trained, has experience in that area can say, hey, here is what will help you 
in your relationships, in your personal life, in your marriage. Okay, I, I mean, I hope this isn't too much of a personal question, but would you yourself ever use a counselor or use a coach? Absolutely, and I have. Um, just uh, all throughout my marriage, and, and this is not just in formal context, but in informal context, as a young parent uh, with small children, seeking out counsel from older parents who've been through it and saying, you know, we're, we're seeing this in our child. Can you help us get some perspective? Uh, that would be more informal counseling, seeking advice from a wiser person, um, but certainly formal counseling and, uh, and, and seeking uh, advice from someone who can coach me in terms of my career. I did that at a certain point about five years ago. I took uh, some personality assessments. All of that was just wonderfully helpful for me to grow in self-awareness and uh, and just mature as a person. Yeah, a lot of folks say, you know, that if you go into marriage counseling, or at least they, they think that that is a sign that your marriage is in trouble. Um, would you disabuse folk of that, or, or is marriage counseling also good for healthy marriages? Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, a few years ago, a couple came to me, had an amazing marriage, but they were a young couple and they were struggling with knowing how to uh, uh, raise their small children. One of them was starting to show their personality. And they came to me and they said, you know, we really love one another. We're getting along well, but we are really bumping into one another. We're having a lot of conflict around this issue. And it's starting to hurt our relationship. And we want to come in and talk to you before our marriage is in crisis. And uh, I wish more couples would do that. Uh, oftentimes when they do come to me, they're, they're highly distressed, but some couples have the, the wherewithal and the, the, uh, the wisdom to come in before things get, get really problematic and get the help they need. So it's, it's really nice when people take that initiative. Great. Well, I mean, I don't know all that much about counselling. When I was in seminary a hundred years ago, um, the big the big thing was neothetic counselling. Um, Jay Adams was one of the guys competent to counsel. I, I gather things have, have moved on. Folk talk about the biblical counselling movement. Can you sketch a little bit uh, the evolution, or is there a connection between neothetic counselling and biblical counselling? Uh, what are the differences between the two approaches? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big question, and I think it all revolves around uh, your understanding of what you mean by the sufficiency of Scripture. So, oftentimes, people that hold to a a more narrow view of sufficiency of Scripture say Scripture is all we need. Yeah. Uh, another view of sufficiency of Scripture is it's sufficient; it provides a framework and a lens, but it's not exhaustive. Yeah. And so, in that way, you know, you see kind of. Um, the, the the broad movement of biblical counseling, uh, the more uh, neuthetic branch would have a more narrow view of sufficiency of Scripture, saying Scripture is all we need. And then on the more, if you will, progressive end, it's this idea of just wise integration. How do I incorporate, you know, the research that's being done these days in the field of uh, psychology? Um, uh, right now, a lot of interesting things are happening in brain science and research, neuroscience. How do you incorporate that into a rich biblical framework that underpins that in the gospel, but 
but benefits from that that research. Sure, and, and I think you know those of us who come from a, a more reformed, confessional, uh, stable, if you like, should, should recognise that. I mean, the confession talks about doctrine arising out of you know good and necessary consequence of the yeah. Bible. You know, common grace um, yes. suggests to us that there's other disciplines can be used, and that God is in these other disciplines also. That's right. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean. I learn I learn a great deal about church history, uh, even if I'm reading uh, a book by someone who may not be a believer. Yeah, but they have you know rich insight because of the time they've spent researching that particular area. Hmm. Uh, and so I think in in a similar way we can benefit from human beings studying other human beings made in God's image, whether they're believers or not. There are observations that they're making that we can benefit from. Their their assumptions be different. Their goals and aims may be different, but the the insights and oftentimes the practical implications, you know, the interventions and the practical ways that you can help someone grow are, are richly beneficial. Sure, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit. Is, is Unstuck your latest book, by the way? That is correct. Yeah, it's been out about a year. Okay. And uh, it's doing well, and I'm I'm really encouraged. I'm thankful. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that because it's going to be the theme of the conference here in Edinburgh on Friday, the twenty eighth of February. Um, Tim, what can folk expect, or can you just unpack a little bit what the whole Unstuck's more than a book, isn't it? Tell us about it. Yes. So what I. What I wanted to do in Unstuck is I wanted to write a book that made the 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 uh, whole process of growth and grace and change accessible, simple to understand, and yet the book be nuanced enough to to uh, handle some of the more complex struggles that we all face. Um, and if you want to think about kind of the the broad structure of the book. It, it's not broken down in this way, but I think about it in this way. You know, the first part is growing in self-awareness. Yeah. Um, the second part is growing in gospel awareness. And then the last chapter uh, moves you in the direction of other awareness. How does this change that I'm experiencing move me out into service and ministry in the world and uh, in my marriage, in my relationships with my coworkers? So that's really the broad structure of the book. And um, it's, it's, you can read a chapter probably in six or seven minutes, yeah. and there are about 10 chapters in the book. So I didn't want it to be um, so uh, heavy in content that, that people would be overwhelmed. And yet I think it's a, a, a nuanced enough to, to handle some of the more complex problems that people experience. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've read the whole book. I read it in three hours um, uh-huh. and I really enjoyed it. Um, can you tell us, I mean, if someone is sitting here in their house in Edinburgh, Scotland or Glasgow or anywhere in Scotland and, and they're thinking, would this conference help me? What sort of person would be most helped by mm-hmm. the Unstuck conference? So anybody that's struggling with some temptation or an experience of suffering, if any of your listeners out there have that in their lives, then they would benefit. And I think that might be everybody. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> you mean everybody, yeah? <laughs> that's right. So that really is... Uh, 
it's a it's a very nice big picture of growth and grace. And what you do as you read the book is you actually pick an area in your life that you would like to see change, uh, whether it's a struggle with you know irritation, anger, anxiety, sadness, uh, a relational difficulty. And uh, the book will just kind of take you along a path. Um, and that was really the image that inspired the book. I was I was reflecting on John Bunyan's Pilgrim's mm-hmm. Progress. And, you know, at the end, Pilgrim becomes a Christian, but the Christian life has just begun. So what is the the ongoing path for ongoing growth and grace look like? And so that's what I've done. I've mapped out kind of a path for uh growth and grace. And we've called it, you know, a nine step journey to change that lasts. Okay. Imagine you're maybe a guy or a girl again in Scotland thinking of going to conference, thinking of taking a friend with you, but your friend's not a believer. Would it be a waste of time for the non-believer? So uh, I I would imagine that uh, believers and non-believers all have problems in their lives. Yeah. So if, you know, and, and what what they can do is come with a with an uh, open mind and say, well, what's a what's a Christian vision of of change, mm-hmm. and you know how how does how does that differ from what I've been exposed to, and are there things that I might uh, learn and benefit and maybe get a a different perspective on you know Christian growth and grace? So certainly. Um, you know, a believer is is going to benefit from this, but a non-believer is as well. And there there are many things in the book that a non-believer can take advantage of as they think about you know areas in their lives that that need to change. Yeah, you speak about the gospel a lot in the book, and indeed all your writing, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain what the gospel? is in a few seconds, and what you're understanding? What I'm trying to get at here is that. A lot of folk see the gospel in terms, you know, an old school Billy Graham campaign, walking the walk, going down the aisle, you must be born again. It is that. We know that. But isn't isn't it more than that? Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, first of all, the gospel is a person. Mm. That's, That's critical. And that person is Jesus. Obviously, Father, Son, and Spirit, you know, plan to come and rescue a people for their, you know, their own, but um, it is focused on a person. It's not a technique. It's not a discipline. um, It's a relationship. And so when we use the word gospel, and I I make this point very, very clearly um, towards the middle of the book, uh, what is the gospel? And and I talk a lot about being united to Christ. And that means I'm in a relationship with him if I have trusted in him. And he not only saves me from my past sins, but he's giving me now new grace and power to face uh, my daily temptations and experiences of suffering uh, with the hope that uh, I can I can uh, be with him ultimately eternally. Uh, so, you know, there's past grace, there's present grace, there's future grace. And that's how the book is kind of laid out. Great. Just um, moving on to a couple of other things. I'm enjoying this conversation so much. You you have this ministry, the Institute for Pastoral Care, but you're also very much a church guy. You were a pastor. You are a member at Carriage Lane Presbyterian. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and talking about church, how do you develop 
a culture of grace in the local church. I mean, it is connected to the last thing we spoke about, the gospel. Mm-hmm. But what does a church look like that's grace-laden as opposed to being a mere institution? Yeah. So uh, you, you have to talk about grace, first of all, and that really needs to start in the pulpit. You know, when our, when our pastors are preaching, are they, are they pointing people to Christ? Or are they just laying upon them more weighty burdens mm. of oughts and shoulds and should nots? Uh, certainly the Bible is, you know, filled with commands that we're to put off and put on. That that's apparent. But but if you read the, the scriptures, that put off and put on process is grounded in your your identity or, or your relationship with Christ. And so that that has to be explicitly taught from the pulpit. But then it needs to get worked out in the different spheres of the church. Uh, at the church that I attend, um, uh, I'm actually going to be teaching for about 13 or 14 weeks on an adult ed class. And we're going to be going through my book, Unstuck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just developed a workbook that they're going to be testing with me that will be available uh, after this class through either the Good Book Company's website, a download uh, through my website. But but I'm using this uh, adult ed opportunity to expose people to what is grace, what is the gospel, how do you live it out in your life, and then how does that shape our relationships as a community? Mm-hmm. And would there be any features of a grace-laden church that you would particularly look for in terms of relationships? I mean, one of um, your books is called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And, mm. you know, we've all been around churches long enough to know that they can be great places, but they are also messy places. So how do you work out grace in a church, a group of sinners brought together in messy relationships? Yeah. So uh, very great question. If I'm not experiencing God's grace in my own life and I talk about this monsoon of grace that he pours on me, First uh, John 3 says that God has lavished his love upon us. Mm. If I'm not experiencing that and I'm not living that out in my own personal life, the likelihood of me being gracious and offering grace to others Minimize is minimized. But if I am experiencing that on a daily basis, when I get into conflict, how can God's grace allow, allow me to move towards that person in the same way that Jesus moves towards me uh, in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing love? That's Ephesians 4 2. How can I do that so that we can uh, work through this conflict? Or you can forgive me because I sinned against you and I'm coming to you and I'm confessing it. And you're saying, yes, I forgive you or vice versa. Um, it's, it's, all, it's all rooted in your own personal experience with, with God. Uh, and then that gets translated into how you relate to other people and uh, how you do conflict, how you practice forgiveness, how you encourage one another and pray for one another. Um, and you are right. The church is a messy place because, you know, we're far from perfect and there's a lot of growth that needs to happen in our lives. And as a result, um, there are things that we do to one another that are uh, sometimes very painful and hurtful. Um, 
it's it's one of the reasons I love reading the New Testament and the letters that Paul writes to the churches. Uh, he's always having to you know encourage them to you know stop stealing or <laughs> or be humble and gentle and patient and forbearing love with one another. Why? Because you're not, and you need to grow in grace in that area. So uh, the New Testament is very realistic about how messy relationships are, even in the body of Christ. So in a grace-laden church, there's a, a lot of candid, honest conversations going on. The word sorry is heard a lot, and mm. there are tears, but I guess there's also laughter. That's a, a nice way of uh, describing it. And I would say there's there's also this Hey, I was wrong when I said this about you to this other person. Sure, uh, that was go- that was gossip. That was wrong. Will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of conversations are happening not only between brothers and sisters in Christ, but also husband and wife, uh, parent child. Uh, that is that is one amazing mark of a person who's experienced God's forgiveness of them. They are offering that to others, and they're also candidly owning their own sins uh, and asking for forgiveness from one another. That's the that's the oil, if you will, that needs to be in the the engine of our relationships in the body of Christ to keep things running. Um, so great. Now, one of your books, the title really intrigued me. Um, it's called "Living Without Worry." Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the only time we're without worries when we're dead, and <laughs> when we're in the new, when we're in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, That's right. Unpack that a little bit for me, Tim. Uh, yeah. Can you live without worry? So you know, it's just like any other struggle in in the Christian life. Just as a human being, <clears throat> um, it ebbs and flows, and there are times when maybe I'm less worrisome uh, than others. But how do I how do I manage anxiety? Um, and there there can be a, a benefit to stress and 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 worry. It it, it gets you moving out into your world. Um, but there's a place where that stress or that anxiety can cause you to um, either shut down or uh, move into what we call fight or flight mode. Okay, can and that's you, what that's yeah. what you know, problematic anxiety is. I am I am in fight or flight mode, but the situation isn't such that I need to be. Yeah. So if I'm having a tense conversation with my wife and I go into fight or flight mode, that's probably not going to be helpful. But if I'm facing a saber tooth tiger, mm-hmm. that fight or flight response that is really at the core of anxiety, that that working of my autonomic nervous system can actually save my life. Mm-hmm. And what happens often is we move into fight or flight mode. We become hypervigilant. We we have what I call over concern, and then we start to ruminate and and experience anxiety, and it can be quite debilitating. And so the book really is is designed to help us, by God's help and understanding His care and His grace and His sovereignty, help us to regulate more uh, in the moment, day by day. Uh, that that uh, very common human response to fear, uh, that that fight or flight uh, response and reaction. 
Okay, now given yeah. given that we're different personalities, I think it's a given to say that for various reasons, nature and nurture, some of us are more given to anxiety than others. You know, there's a plethora of factors that make us yeah. the way we are. That's just a given. But in the course of a lifetime, can we become less anxious and can that state of lesser anxiety become an ingrained pattern in our lives uh, yeah i'll leave yeah. it there yeah I, I like the way you you talk about the shaping influences one of the things i do in unstuck is i talk about um uh those shaping influences heredity genetics uh, life shaping experiences present circumstances triggers all of that uh, interesting uh, people are wired at birth to respond to life when life is distressful in typically three different ways. One is to become anxious. Uh, the second uh, hardwiring is to become irritable and angry. And the other one is sadness. Those are the typical kind of responses. And through our hardwiring and uh, these uh, shaping influences, you know, our family of origin, those types of things, they kind of move us in one of those directions or maybe two. I, I tend in the direction of anxiety and anger, mm -hmm. uh, while other people uh, might move in the direction of anxiety or sadness. Um, and so depending on your hardwiring and your life shaping experiences, the trajectory of your growth and grace and change is going to look different from one person to the other. Uh, so I may continue to grow, but struggle with irritation and anger when life gets distressing. Maybe not so much sadness, okay. whereas others are going to be different. Um, and so just keeping that in mind and being, I think, realistic. We don't want to be triumphalistic. You know, if, if you just believe the gospel more, all of your worries and all of your sadness and all of your irritation will disappear. Well, that's not consistent with what Scripture teaches. Scripture says that the Christian life is a battle, and it will be that way until the day we die. But it can be a battle that moves in the direction of ongoing maturity and growth and grace and progress. Okay, I'm, I'm interested in these concepts, growth and grace, progress, even mm -hmm. personal development. What is the difference between... I mean, let's use an old theological word here, sanctification. So what is the difference between just sanctification and personal development? So if I'm, if I'm understanding your question correctly, um, I, I'm talking about sanctification. I'm just not using that theological word. That's what I thought. But, yeah. yeah, but, but what, we're, what we're doing is, you know, we're saying sanctification happens as a result of you being united to a person, and that person is Jesus. And that connection happens through the work of the Spirit in us as he uses the scriptures, as he uses other people to help us, as he uses circumstances. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about sanctification. Uh, one, one of the if I could just read a short passage here, I think captures what we're talking about is Titus 2, 11 through 14. Yeah. Um, and uh, Paul says this, he says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So that's past grace. Jesus has, has shown up, he's come, his life, death, and resurrection. And when we find our, our, our hope in him, our sins are forgiven, it goes on to say, it teaches us to say no 
to ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Mm -hmm. So we not only need the gospel to get in the kingdom, right, to become Christians, we need the grace of the gospel to continue in our lives if we're going to grow in in self-control, in upright and godly lives in this present age. And then it goes on to say, while we wait for the blessed hope, that's that future grace, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's a, that's a wonderful picture of the Christian life, past grace, present grace, future grace, and it puts it within the context of a struggle. There's a, there's a new war in me because the Spirit uh, is working in me to fight against the, the realities of what we talk about in our circles, remaining sin. Sin no longer uh, has dominion over me. I'm no longer a slave to sin. But I still continue to battle against uh, remaining sin in me, even though its power has been broken significantly by what Jesus has done for me. Amen. Yeah. What I love about your writing and the writing of many others is it takes just truths that have been part of what we believe for centuries. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of the classic definition in our tradition of sanctification is, you know, question 35, I think, of the Catechism. Sanctification Mm -hmm. is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in a whole man after Mm -hmm. the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. You know, that's the thesis of unpacked, renewal in the whole man, isn't it? So what what excites me is about your writing and the writers of others is that, in a sense, it's not new. It is simply applying and stating in a contemporary Mm -hmm. situation what the church has believed for hundreds and indeed thousands of years. That's right. Yeah. No. And I, I like to tell people this, you know, when they come to a seminar unstuck or how people change, I hope when the seminar is over, you will say that you didn't learn anything new, mm. but you saw old truths in new ways. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way. So there's not this sense of Gnosticism, you know, where I've got yeah. this new mystery, this new knowledge that if you will just tap into, you will you will be elevated to a new level of spirituality. Mm-hmm. No, in Colossians, Paul says, if you have Christ, you are full. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need anything else. But what we do need is practical help thinking about how do I take these old truths, see them in new ways so that I'm, if you will, dazzled and mesmerized by God's kindness and grace and mercy to me in Jesus Christ, such that my heart is recaptured and what I lo- live for, what I love, what I adore is being transformed in me and that that is i'm i'm more mesmerized by the beauty of christ what father son and spirit have done for me and that bit begins to translate into this battle called the christian life and growing in godliness and holiness sanctification if you will great now another thing i read in on stark um you mentioned the concept of christian mindfulness now yeah i mean you're not the first person to mention that but over here in scotland just now in the school system in uh human resources uh, employment situation folk are talking constantly about mindfulness Mm -hmm. and a lot of folk are not happy about it but you know 
the way I see it is mindfulness is a good thing. You can have mm-hmm. various bad applications of it. So, again, to use one of my favorite words, unpack for, for us what your understanding of Christian mindfulness is. So when I hear the word mindfulness, it has Eastern religious connotations. A lot of what is being done with uh, mindfulness in most of our school systems is mostly secular. They've, they've, they've done away with kind of the religious trappings. And it's largely about what you're focusing on in the moment, you know, or are you getting hijacked by something in the past or hijacked by something in the potential future? So how do you live in the moment? Um, and, and so for me, the big issue is, well, what am, what do I need to be mindful of? Um, I need to be self-aware what's going on right now in me, in my body, in my thinking, my emotions. Um, I want to be gospel aware, gospel mindful. How does Jesus wish to meet me in this moment right now uh, as I'm mindful of him and who he is and what he's done for me? Um, that That's what we're talking about. And I think you see this all throughout scripture, this, this, this understanding of, of Christian meditation, um, you know, when Jesus is teaching and he, he says, behold, that word right there is pay attention, yeah. slow down, stop what you're doing. And I want you to focus right now on something that I want to teach you. Mm-hmm. Look at how I care for the, the lilies of the field. Look how I care for the birds. Be mindful of how I'm doing that right now. And, and be mindful that I am present with you and I I wish to take care of you because I value you more than I do the birds of the, the air or the, the flowers in the field. And, and so that language of behold is, hey, slow down, pay attention, be mindful, be aware of yourself, of who I am and what I'm calling you to do in this moment. Do you think that in the Reformed tradition that we have shall we say, overemphasize the cerebral and we have downplayed the meditative parts. We have maybe overreacted against some of the practices of the medieval church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that uh, potentially a fear of, of the, the mystical or mysticism, those kinds of traditions in church history. You know, um, if you read Calvin and his institutes, it's it's very warm. Yeah. And it, it's all about relationship. Uh, and I think sometimes, yes, in our circles, we can move to the more cerebral. And 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 while we and we talk about the doctrines of grace, uh, mm. justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, all those wonderful doctrines, and we can depersonalize them. And what I try to do in Unstuck is I try to say, hey, all those wonderful doctrines are just different windows into what it means for you to be in a relationship with Jesus, what it means for you to be united to Christ, and how through that relationship you can draw on all the, the resources that he offers you by his spirit to, to fight fight the good fight, if you will. Yeah. In the conference or any of the talks you give, do you ever give practical advice as to how to be mindful, how to meditate? I mean, do you talk about location? Do you talk about practice? Or is it up to the individual to work it out for themselves? 
Um, we I actually will do that uh, in the conference. So we may, you know, if we're singing uh, a song that focuses on the gospel, I may say, let's just stop for a moment. Let's be quiet. And I want you to just be mindful of what you just sang and um, or sung. And then uh, just talk to God and, and, and say thank you. Uh, and I, I do that throughout the book as well. I, I provide opportunities for people just to stop and be mindful, you know, becoming self-aware, gospel-aware, other-aware. Uh, the workbook that I'm putting together will actually give people, you know, kind of a daily, you know, based on each chapter, they'll have for one week a daily exercise to put what they're learning in that chapter into practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole other conversation, the, the importance of habits mm-hmm. and, and where they fit into the Christian life. And, uh, that 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 psychosomatic connection between body and soul, mm-hmm. um, you know, those are important conversations as well. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of every chapter of Unstuck, um, you've got work it through. So that's why I said at the beginning, it's it's more than a book; um, it's a kind of manual, isn't it? That's right, um, and that's that nine step journey. You know, here are things that are essential that you need to have. Uh, uh, you need to have a cognitive awareness of these things. So, you know, the intellect is very important in the Christian life, but but there's also a a, a deeper kind of heart orientation. In fact, when when Paul uses the, the word mind in Romans 12, 1, be transformed by your mind, the renewing of your mind, he's really talking about more than the intellect. He's talking about the the whole person, the the, the center of your being. Uh, your affections, as Jonathan Edwards would would refer to them, or your disordered desires, as Augustine would would say, they're being reordered by this new affection for Christ, and and it's happening at a, a at a deep level. And the only way that can happen is if we slow down. And uh, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not the kind of person that naturally slows down. I like to be busy. I like to think get things done. And so this this book was actually just an exercise in me saying, Tim. How do you help people like you and others slow down and really be captured afresh by uh, God's God's love and and His call for you to to grow in grace and holiness? So yeah, the the end of each chapter is designed to help people do that, and the workbook will actually go further and help them do that throughout the week. Okay. Of, of all your books, I mean, Unstuck, Living Without Worry, How People Change, you wrote that with Paul Tripp, um, right. rela- Relationships. I mean, I'm going to ask you a really uh, crazy question here. Which which one's your favorite? I mean, it's a bit like asking what's your favorite child, but uh, uh, have you got any, yeah. f- any favorites among them or are they all different for different reasons? You know, uh, I, I probably am a, a bit biased. I, I feel like because Unstuck, is the latest book I've written. I think it's it's uh, it grew out of a lot of growth and grace, uh, personal struggles, experiences of suffering, and I, f- I feel like it's a it's a, a more mature representation of where I am, and I think it, it is uh, uh, just a, a very accessible but uh, rich book that I'm I'm very excited about. So I, I'm probably kind of leaning towards Unstuck. It had been in my mind for about a decade uh, after Paul and I wrote How People Change. I said, you know, I need to do something that's that's more linear, more practical, more accessible. And so Unstuck grew out of that uh, 
that that whole thought process. Tim, it has been so good talking to you. Again, just so as our listeners know, you can hear more about Tim from his own personal website, timlane.org. And also, Unstuck is published by the Good Book Company, and it is available. And again, if you are in central Scotland or anywhere in Scotland, just to remind you, Friday the 28th of February from 9.30 to 2 o'clock, St. Catharines Argyll, Grange Road, Edinburgh, you'll be able to meet Tim in person and go through some of these issues in Unstuck. Tim, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, David, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I've, I've appreciated interacting with you. Your questions have been spot on, so thank you very much.